Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're... The Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Debbie. And we're the, the Polter Gals. Welcome back to another episode of the Polter Gals. Um, we have an exciting announcement for the month of Spooktober. Allison, what are we doing? Well, we're going to be talking about some haunted locations per usual. Uh-huh. Yep, that's our but, thing. But? But. There's a twist. Oh, <gasps> What's the twist? I love a good so, twist. So, we are going to be talking about locations that some kind of murder case happened. True crime. True crime. So, it is a Poltergeist Haunted True Crime Edition. Whoop and we're going to be doing the this series for our one year anniversary that's right we've already been doing this for a year guys isn't that crazy so we figured to twist things up and to make things a little bit spicier i guess (laughs) and spookier yeah spicy spicier and spookier (laughs) uh some of these we have done before but we're gonna talk a little bit more in Mm -hmm. depth about them and give you more of the case file than just the history. Yeah. So a lot of it we have talked about before, but we're just going to try to skim over that as much as we can and talk about the actual murder case. Ooh, yeah. And so, um, like I said, we're going to be doing some, we're going to be doing some redos. We're going to be doing some new news. Um, and we're going to be having fun here. Yeah. Um, so the first one we figured we should cover is the Velasca house. Um, cause we kind of did that one in, in like tandem with the Whaley house. Um, just as like little, little, little blurbs, little blurbs, um, before. Um, so we went back and did more research and now we're going to cover like the case file, true crime aspect. I'm going to go over all the suspects in the case. Um, and this first one we're doing is the Velasca house, like I said. Um, so what makes this one super special is cause it's actually a cold case. Oh, that's right. Put that baby in a freezer and pop it out. It's time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it's okay to put babies in freezers. No. But, okay, this is the Velasca house. So, of course, I'm going to bring that statement back up. No. Because this is not, the exact this is the house. house that started Allison's obsession with putting children in haunted places. Or veterans. Or veterans. That was Baker Hotel. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So um, Allison's going to run through the history, like last time, go over really, really fast. And then I'm going to jump into the case and the suspects and um, all the sneaky little linky stuff that happened in the back. Um, And then we'll wrap it up with the hauntings. Again, we've already covered this. So if you guys want to just go listen to a breeze through on our uh, previous episode of the Velasca House. It was posted back in like June. Yeah, it's it's been two or three months. Yeah, it's been two or three months. So if it's one of those things, it's like you're interested in the true crime part and wanting to know about what happened, this is great. Um, And we have a new logo now. Yes. (laughs) So I designed myself. And um, t-shirts coming soon. If only I remember to buy the dye. (laughs) That's right, guys. We're having um, some merch dropping (laughs) soon. So keep an eye on that. Um, And then we also have another exciting announcement. Um, We are going to be doing a live show. Spooky, 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 spooky. It's spooky time. That's right. We are in October. So we have about three more weeks until our... um, our, our live podcast is going to be, and we are teaming up with the Boo Bays. That is right. That's Caitlin and Josh. Shout out to those guys over there. If you guys have not checked out their podcast, you are missing out on horror of your life. Yes. And that is, as Josh says, it is B-O-O-B-A-E-S, because they are your Boo Bays, not your Boo Babes. Yes. So. Not bays. Yes. Bays. Yeah. Like a Baywatch. Like Salt Bay. Yeah. So. 
get it right get it together yeah show up for us show up it's gonna be october 22nd be there be square um it's gonna be a spooky on spooky on spooky opportunity and um we're not gonna tell you what case we're gonna be fine what we're gonna be covering yet because we want it to be a surprise so i will give a helpful hint though this <gasps> case also has a movie wow who knew so so for partnering boobays yeah. <laughs> they cover horror movies guess what if you kind of put two and two together like me and my dumb brain over here but yeah just go through all of the hauntings that also have <laughs> have movies um there's quite a lot um but yeah so let's go ahead and get into this true crime yay Alaska baby okay this is sad, actually. This case is prep, prep. There is some trigger warning, so if you're listening, um, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna get more in depth. So yes, um, before we kind of cover things like light and airy, and we usually just try to, you know, gloss over some of the more horrifying details. Um, so remember, this will be a little deeper dive, um, but should still be, um, yes, all right. Also, Debbie did some of the research on this one. Yay! So this is yeah. a Debbie-centric episode. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and then we'll do an Ali-centric episode next week. I wonder what that one could be. Mm. Well, we'll give you a hint. So this it's one is excellent a case. Uh, excellent case. I was gonna say this one's a and <laughs> that's the best pun. <laughs> just, just, just think about it. <laughs> All right, Allison. Okay, so. The Velasco Axe murders occurred between the evening of June 9th, 1912 and early morning of June 10th, 1912 in the town of Alaska, Iowa in United States. It was the Moore family, which consisted of parents Josiah and Sarah and their four kids. Herman, Mary, Arthur, and yes. Paul. Yes. So this was an official affiliate family and the moors were well known and well liked within their community this is a high profile case yes which like debbie said unfortunately remains a cold case so yeah so on the june 9th mary catherine moore invited ina and lena ina and lena ina and lena i love those names oh no how convenient that they rhyme so she invited them to spend the night at their resident. Mm-hmm. That evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended their local church where the mm-hmm. Moore family went, where they participated in Children's Day program, Aww. which Sarah had coordinated. Oh, what a good mom. I know. They're going just a little family going to church. I would say I wish my mom did stuff like that, but she did. What? She literally did. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. Uh, she did. <laughs> but yeah, so they were just going to church. Oh, how nice. So after the program ended at 9.30, the Moors and the Stingle- Stillinger, Stillinger. Ian, Lena and Lena, the sisters, walked to the Moors' house, arriving between 9.45 to 10 at night. And at 7 a.m. the next day, which would have been J- June 10th, Mary, who happens to be the Moors' neighbor, became very concerned after she noticed that the family had not come out to do their morning chores. Mm. She then knocked on the Moore's door and realized that nobody answered. She tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. Sarah then let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore, which is Josiah's brother. Mm -hmm. Like Sarah, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He then unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. And while Sarah stood at the front porch, he went in into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena's bodies on the bed. Moore, which, like I said, is Ross, just his Mm -hmm. last name. His brother, yeah. Yeah, the brother, immediately told Sarah to call Henry Hank Horton, which is Velasquez's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly after. At this time, the six members of the Moore family and the two guests were found bludgeoned. You messed up on this word last time. I thought you would get it. Bludgeoned. Bludgeoned. Again. Allison. Hey, I... (laughs) Apparently, not everyone learns from their mistakes. (laughs) Apparently. Good job, (laughs) Allison. At least I'm willing to accept it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Found them bludgeoned in the Moore residence. 
All eight victims, including the six children, had severe head wounds from an axe. Their murder weapon, an axe belonging to Josiah, was found in the guest room where Ina and Lena were found. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the two guests were asleep. Mm-hmm. These killer or killers began to ma- to the in the master bedroom where the Moore parents were sleeping. Oh, no. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. The ceiling in his room had a gouge mark from when the murderer lifted the axe to murder him. Oh, no. A lengthy investigation yielded several suspects, one of whom was tried twice. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second ended in acquittal. And like I said, and like Debbie said, this case remains unsolved. So. Um, so I'm now going to get into um, kind of some more details about it and go over the different suspects in length. Um, that way we can kind of go over it and kind of suss out who we think might be responsible. Um, so like I said, this is actually a very high-profile case. So these yes. people were very well-known in the community. Um, so the people that did not like them, <laughs> it was kind of apparent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so surprisingly, there's actually a lot of suspects um, so over time, like many possible subsects, suspects emerged, um, including a reverend. So Reverend George Kelly, um, a senator, Senator oh. Frank F. Jones, um, this guy named William Mansfield, this guy named Loving Mitchell, and then another Henry Lee Moore um, of the Moore family. Oh, um, so very oh, no. interesting. Um, the one that was actually tried twice was George Kelly. Um, and then, of course, again, the first one ended in a hung jury. Um, and then the second trial, he was acquitted. Um, so he was not found guilty of the How murder convenient. itself. How convenient. Um, and as we know, in American Constitution, once you get acquitted, <laughs> it's Dunsky's. If the glove don't fit, acquit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go through all of our suspects now and kind of give you some more in-depth information. Um, so of course the first one I'm going to go over is, um, basically the Senator. So, um, the first guy there has his Senator Frank F. Jones. So you may be thinking, why would a Senator want to murder a man, right? Um, well, so apparently Josiah Moore, um, had a thing for making enemies, um, so he actually ended up working for the senator. He had worked for the senator for seven years and literally Yikes. had like worked with him and helped build up his business and um, then quit his job. Um, so basically the senator um, was upset about it. And not only did he just quit, but a lot of people were saying that he quit due to number one, um, the inconsistency and working long hours. So he was probably Mm -hmm. exhausted from the Senator forcing him to work all these times. Um, and then also, you know, maybe because, um, he just wanted to, um, become his rival. So, um, that's right. Josiah Moore quit the company with his boss or with the senator and then stole his largest contract. Oh my god. Have you heard of John Deere? That's right. Oh the dear. John Deere company. Oh um, dear. So Josiah stole the largest account um from him and then became his rival in business. So you're thinking why would a senator want to murder him? That is why. Not only this, but like they had an outward showing that they hated each other. So, like, back then you kind of kept this stuff, like, under wraps because it wasn't socially acceptable to just be, like, out, you know, being mean to your neighbors or whatever. Um, and this was a small community. Um, at one point, they literally hated each other so much. They would walk across, like, if they were walking down the street and they, like, saw each other, um, Josiah would cross, excuse me, cross to the other side of the street to avoid him. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's probably why. Um, and then also, there may have been a scandal involved. Oh. So, um, Moore was also believed to have had an affair with Jones's vivacious daughter-in-law. 
So, uh huh. So Josiah may have um, had a little side gig, if you know what I mean, before mm-hmm. um, stealing his main gig. <laughs> um, Yikes! But yeah, and um, a lot of there were actually numerous affairs that were very well known in this town, um, and so some people are saying that this was a scandal that possibly could have taken place. So again, um, it, like everybody knew that they had beef. Like they were like, hmm, this guy seems a little suspicious. Who has the beef? But yeah, and then um, the literally again, they just started to hate each other. Um, he was never convicted of any crime and was actually exonerated um, because you know he's a, he's a senator number one, so he probably um, got out of it through that. Um, I can't say it expunged. Um, expunged. Those but sponges, they soak just about anything up. <laughs> Um, but it actually may have ruined his career. Um, so even throughout all these scandals, and not only the blatant public disrespect, um, but he he found himself being harassed by these rumors that he murdered the Moors. Um, and again, he was like an old man. He was 57 years old at the time. So a lot Yikes. of people didn't even think, you know, that he could theoretically lift the axe or, you know, murder the people, like, physically. People but are still like, oh. um, I, mean, I feel like at 57, you're still like, <laughs> like, you're And, kick- you know, he was literally his eminence. Like, he was well I known mean, in the community. Um, but. I don't know. I guess that's a question to ask Mike if he's <laughs> able to live, lift an axe. Oh, because he's 100 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the senator um, ended up basically having his entire business ruined due to the murder itself. So even if he didn't commit the murder, his life was over after it. Um, so due to all these murders and accusations um, and the litigation that was involved, even though he was exonerated, basically he had to get into retirement. Like his entire Early life was retirement. ruined. Early retirement. Thanks to the Moors. Um, and, you know, a lot of like he was very like self-righteous and like, you know, really had dreams for the future and, like, had all these ideas about what he was going to do, um, and they were tarnished. So that is for the senator. Up next is the suspect of Williams Manfield. So a lot of people, again, say that the senator, due to his age, possibly could not have actually murdered them himself. So there is a statement saying that he may have hired somebody to murder them. So that's where this guy comes in. So mm-hmm. basically they're saying that this guy, Williams Mansfield, might have been, um, you know, hired by him or someone might have been taking money under the table to commit this murder for him. Um, again, you know, it's all politics, right? Um, so that's interesting. I don't see anybody taking money under the table. <laughs> There's no money under there? No. Oh, dang. Well, too bad we're not senators, because if we were senators, <laughs> we're right down there. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, so um, this was actually a theory from James Wilkerson. Um, he was an agent of the renowned Burns Detective Agency, um, and he actually announced in 1960s, uh, 1916, correct, that's two years after the murder, um, that Jones had hired a killer by the name of William Mansfield to murder um, the man who had humiliated him and ruined his career. Um, so Wilkerson, um, who enough, who wasn't a nuisance himself um, to the Jones, um, was actually trying to secure a re-election to the state Senate. So that might be why he started spreading this rumor about Williams Manfield being hired to murder the family. Again, for his <laughs> own gain. Can you tell how I was in school? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and um, again, he eventually succeeded in having a grand jury um, convened to consider the evidence he had gathered. Um, It was actually able to show that Mansfield was the type of person who could have committed the murder in 1912. Welcome to One Star Rewind, a new podcast about those dreaded one-star reviews that every business owner hates to receive, but yet every customer loves to read. During this podcast, we will peel back that one-star review to better understand how it happened, when it happened, 
and what the business owner is doing after receiving that one-star review. This podcast will be about love, hate, and laughter. On One Star Rewind, we will meet with real business owners who will tell their stories and how they do rely on reviews for their business. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or download us at roguemedianetwork.com. Please subscribe, but only rate and review for not a one-star review. Join us each time for a new review and a new story. And I'm Mike. And we have a fantastic new podcast to tell you about. Bros, foes, and heroes. It's the two of us looking into the world of comics, breaking down some characters that you may have never heard of, and some that are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so Zach comes up with a character each time, and uh, I go into it just completely blind. I don't know who this person is or what their abilities are or anything, and and basically I guess we kind of go over their origin story and just some of the ridiculous stuff that maybe especially golden age stuff oh golden age stuff is always the best and we will make sure to highlight all of the shenanigans and just absolute weirdness of everything that's right so subscribe today and uh, follow us on instagram at bros bros heroes and if you don't i know where you live not really but please subscribe (laughs) bros and bros and heroes Hi, this is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. We're two Southern sommeliers, and we want to share everything we love and know about wine. We started hanging out during quarantine and cooking and drinking and listening to music, and we just thought this would be a great way to bring everything we know to you guys. We will make wine knowledge and food pairings easy and approachable. So put on your favorite vinyl, grab your favorite glass of wine, tune into our show, and let's have some fun. Wine Wine and vinyl. vinyl. So check us out on roguemedianetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll be talking about a lot. (laughs) Do you want to know why he thought he might have been the person that committed the murder in 1912? Because he's not 57 and he knows how to wield an axe. Well, in 1914, Mansfield was the chief suspect in the axe murders of his own wife... His own wife, her parents, and his child Yikes. in Blue Island, Illinois. So, this William Mansfield guy is starting to shape up, right? However, according to um, his alibi, he has um, a solid case. Because on his time clock, it shows that William Mansfield was on the clock working several hundred miles away. The date... The attacks happened. So there goes the whole case against William Mansfield. So he might have been a terrible person, but could he have actually committed this murder? I mean, you can be on the time clock and not be at <laughs> be the working? job. Um, well, how do yeah. you think I get paid? Yeah, well. Just kidding. <laughs> Allison. <laughs> Just kidding, Corey. I definitely don't do that. I'm definitely here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, a lot of locals <laughs> thought he was guilty. Um, and even the Stillingers' parents themselves, the girls' parents, believed that he was the one responsible. Um, and they were mm-hmm. the ones that believed. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we've covered William, um, we are going to be moving on to our third suspect of the evening. That is Andrew Sawyer. So, um, you know, every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect back in the day for this murder. 
So that's where Andrew Sawyer comes in. Mm. So there's actually no real evidence that links Sawyer to the crime, but his name actually came up often in the grand jury testimonies. So according to Thomas Dyer of Burling, Burlington, Iowa, um, there was actually a bridge foreman and pile driver for the Bur- Burlington Railroad. Um, Sawyer approached his crew at the Creston at 6 p.m. on the, or 6 a.m. Excuse me. <laughs> Gotta have the timing right. Um, at 6 a.m. on the morning the murders were discovered. Again, as we previously mentioned, the murders were said to have happened between midnight and 5 a.m. So if he's coming up to the bridge at 6 a.m., that gives him plenty of time to have gone and committed the murder and then be fleeing to this dock to try and leave out of Burlington, Iowa. Oh. So um, it was saying that he was clean-shaven and wearing a brown suit when he arrived. However, his shoes were covered in mud, in quotation marks, is what they said they saw, um, and his pants were wet all the way up to his knees. What the heck? So what? Um, he actually asked them for employment, and um, he the, the bridge guy was like, yeah, we actually need an extra man. And then he was given a job on the spot so he could go out on the ship. Isn't that crazy? Sounds oddly familiar. Yeah. And so Dyer then testified later um, that evening that when the crew actually um, reached the the city that they were going to on this boat, that he saw in the newspaper about the murder. So, And he said that was the first time he had seen about He'd read about it. But again, mm. the timing isn't adding up. That's a little sus. Yeah. Why would you just walk up to this guy and be like, uh, yes, I, I need a job. Right now, uh, this instant, let me get on your boat and get, get out of this city. Uh, Yikes. Little shady. Um, but, yeah. And um, he said, um, one of the other guys on the ship said that he was not very interested in the newspaper. Because it had story of murder in it. Um, um, when, at this time, everybody was obsessed with it. Because things like this did not happen. A murder of eight people. Remember, six of these eight people are children that's that's what i don't understand why are people Mm -hmm. listen if you're gonna be a psychopath Mm -hmm. cool but don't be such a psychopath that you're killing children yes exactly what did the children ever do to you Mm -hmm. um and so sawyer um reportedly told dyer that he had been in Alaska that sunday night and had heard of the murders before reading it in the newspaper. So. Um, how did he hear? It would have been that night. But how would he have been there that night? How, n- how would have he heard about the murders that mm-hmm. night if they didn't happen until mm-hmm. a few hours later? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was afraid of being taken as a suspect. That's when he had left and gone to Creston. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense. So he's contradicting himself. Um, and then Dyer was suspicious and actually turned, uh, Sawyer, the guy over to the sheriff on June 18th of 1912. So just days after he was like, he was like, this guy seems a little fishy. We kind of picked him up on this boat. Um, we're going to give him back to you guys. Uh, good luck. Um, <laughs> a little fishy later, on a boat. A fishy on the boat. You <laughs> like that? Um, but later Sawyer was dismissed as a suspect in the case uh, when officials learned that he could actually prove he was in Osceola, Iowa, um, the night of the murders. So he was not actually in Liska the night of the murders. But then how did he hear about the murders the night before they actually occurred? Well, he has an alibi. So, um, eventually, um, he actually had been arrested for vagrancy there um, in Asacola. Asacola? I'm sorry, Iowans, if I'm mispronouncing this. Um, and the sheriff had a record of putting him on a train at approximately 11 p.m. that evening. So there's his solid I- alibi. It was literally a sheriff because he had gotten arrested. So it definitely could not have been our guy, Andrew Sawyer. Oddly enough, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> I wonder if uh, mm. he could share a name with another. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Well, um, now we're going to be moving on to the reverend. Oh. So you may be thinking, a reverend is a suspect in a murder? 
Um, so this is Seems. Reverend George Kelly again. Um, so Kelly was a traveling minister um, that was in town the night of the murders. Kelly was described as a peculiar um, man, reportedly suffering from a mental breakdown. Um, so that's fun. Um, he often had mental breakdowns as an adolescent, and that kind of like followed him into it. However, he had given himself over to the Lord and had said that he basically had repented and was no longer, and that through finding God, he had helped um, get over his mental illnesses, basically, from his childhood. I swear I saw this somewhere, and... Like I, I'm pretty sure like some TV channel has it that talks about this case. Ooh, I don't remember. It's not on Hulu. No, not Hulu. Um, but yeah. So as an adult, he was also accused of um, being a peeping tom on young girls. Oh, ah, So doesn't that seem to fit the mo of the evening? Four children, two extra little girls. All in one house. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he was accused of peeping on women and girls, um, and he actually has, had asked many of them to pose nude for him. Disgusting. Why? Again, they're children. Mm-hmm. So, on June 8th of 1912, he came to Velisca to teach... At those children's day services. He was at the children's day services that the entire Moore family and the Stillinger children attended. He was there. And, listen to this, um, and which the Moore family had attended the next day on June 9th. Well, he was there that weekend. So, um, but it is said that he left town early that afternoon, which was hours before the bodies were discovered. So he was just there for a traveling a traveling reverend who had a a known thing for peeping on children um and women um and then in the weeks that followed he actually displayed a fascination with the case and he actually wrote many letters to police investigators and the family of the deceased what do they always say about these type of men trying to inject themselves in these investigations they're typically the ones they're typically the ones who did it so this man was trying to send all these letters to the investigators trying to figure it out um which uh, obviously aroused suspicion and is what was trying to get him uh, involved so um the cops were like hmm well we didn't really think about this guy at first but now that you mention it (laughs) um so that's great can i just say I don't condone, again, if you're going to be a psychopath, cool. But I don't condone people doing that to other people. But when it comes to children, uh-huh. why? why? If, if you're going to get caught doing it, it might as well just be a grown-ass, sorry for the word, but it might as well just be a grown-ass adult. Yeah. Well, because it's like, what did the... the ch- Kids don't understand what that like mm-hmm. what that is. Kids don't understand. They don't have the concept of what's happening to them. Yeah, and as a parent, imagine that like you let your children go and stay the night at their friend's house, and something happens. Exactly. Like I, I never be able to get over that. Yeah. Um. No. But yeah, and, th- and then again, John was the one, um, or Josiah, excuse me, was the one that received the most trauma. So remember, they started in the master bedroom, so they killed the parents first. And Josiah was the one that had the most blunt force trauma. See, like if So a bunch of people think it was targeted specifically for Josiah again, and that the kids were just happenstance. Again, if you're going to commit murder like that, just and you start it with the parents, just stop. But it was also shown that all of the children were sleeping when they were murdered. Except for one of the Stillinger girls. She was the one that had defensive wounds that were found. So Mm. all the children were asleep. So it's not even like they witnessed the murder or anything. So again, a lot of people think it was like wiping out a lineage. And then the Stillinger girls, they didn't know that they were there. So it caught them by surprise, which is why they were awake. Which is then why um, the Stillinger girl is the only one that had defensive wounds. She had awoke during the rest of the murders. It's just... 
anyway. Leave the kids leave out the of kids it. alone. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to Mr. Reverend George Ke- uh, George Kelly. Um, I'm not even going to call him Reverend anymore. I'm just going to say Kelly. Um, so um, Kelly actually wrote in and had told them that he replied in detail that he had actually heard sounds and might have even possibly witnessed this murder. So he was there <laughs> or in some way. Mm-hmm. So his known mental illness actually made authorities question whether or not he could have committed these murders and was just imagining his account or was being, again, mentally ill. There are people that pull this kind of stuff in law enforcement all the time. Um, and then in 1914, two years after the murders, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. Um, he was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Health Hospital in Washington, D.C., and investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Moore family, but there was no evidence that could actually place him there or any other information. Um, and again, due to his mental health, they did not think he was reliable on his own as a as a suspect, much less uh, reliable as a um, <laughs> to rely an account to the. He's the one that got tried twice. No, no. Um, wait, hold on. Let me see who was it. Yes, he was the one that was tried twice, George Kelly. Um, he was arrested for the Velisca murders after this. Police obtained the confession for him. Remember, he was saying that he um, was there, had heard the noises, and seen it. So he obtained a confession, but um, it followed many hours of interrogation, and Kelly later recanted. Um, and so after those two separate trials, that's when he was acquitted. So, yes. He did both of them, and he confessed, but you know how police often coerce them coerce them into, you know, creating confessions, and it was just something they were trying to basically, you know, mark off their list, and, um, you know, police literally might be torturing people to get this information or get them to confess. See, I could understand him being the suspect or even being guilty because of his mental illness. Mm-hmm. And but at it, the same time, the cops could have taken advantage of it to, yeah. to get the confession. So I can see, like, where it comes, but it's also, like, yikes. Yeah, it's just a yikes That's just a whole hot mess situation. Yes. But wait, there's more. Oh, no. So, and by more, I mean Henry Lee Moore. Um, oh. Henry Lee Moore is the next suspect. So he is a suspected serial killer. Um, not necessarily related to the Slainmore family. They just have the same last name, so it's kind of funny. Oh. <laughs> um, Can I also just say that those pictures, like, from oh an yeah, angle... yeah, this is terrifying. From an angle, it looks like the children are straight ghosts. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, it was 1912, so I don't think photographs were that developed. Um, we'll post pictures of the children, um, so you guys can see a picture of them when they were alive. Um, but it's very sad. Um, so, Henry Lee Moore... Uh, was actually convicted of the axe murder, which is fitting. If you didn't know, this is the axe murder house because <laughs> oh. they were murdered with an axe. Um, so Henry Lee Moore was convicted of the axe murdering of his own mother and his grandmother several months after the murders in Velasca. So he had already committed two similar axe murderings. So it would not have been, you know, against his M.O., um, Henry Moore can also be considered a suspect, um, but the case still remains open because, again, there's not really anything tying him to the Velasca or tying him to the area, and there's no forward evidence. Um, again, it was just he had murdered people with an axe. And it fits. And it fits. Um, so that is Henry well, Lee Moore. If the shoe fits. If the shoe, f- if the axe fits. <laughs> um, oh, no. That's not if good. If the axe fits. Oh no! Um, so what do we what do we do with Waco Axe? Waco Axe Co. We're not bringing them into this. <laughs> not everybody likes axes or murderers. Thomas. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Love so you, Thomas. So up next we have <laughs> one more suspect, and then this will be our final suspect, and um, then we can kind of go over the case again and see um, oh. what are our thoughts and feelings. Um, so the last one is Sam Moyer. It's M O Y E R. So, at the inquest, it was reported that Sam Moyer, um, who is also, to be blamed, 
um, Josiah's brother-in-law. So, again, this was related. Um, he actually often threatened to kill Josiah. And, I mean, they were, like, brother-in-laws. So, I mean, like, I think you could, like, joke and be like, hey, I'm going to murder you. But, like, there was facts that Sam had threatened to kill Josiah more. Um, however, upon further investigation, um, his alibi cleared him of the crime. Oh so, my. But he was questioned. Because, um, I mean, I don't know how many times you can tell your brother-in-law you're going to kill them. And then if your brother-in-law ends up dead, what's going to happen? It seems a little suspicious. That seems it's, a little suspicious. It seems <laughs> odd. Very odd. Um, but that is right. So, um, that is all of the suspects. Um, and then again, um, they had their funeral and their, actually their funeral, um, procession was made of 50 carriages. So when I say that this was like one of the like high profile cases of the day, this was like the high profile case of the day. Um, eight people dead. This had not happened in this community before. And, at one point, they were just kind of throwing suspect. It's like where you what, throw it against the wall and see what sticks. So um, after going through all the counts of the suspects, um, of course, one of the most notable could be um, George Kelly. Um, but after his acquittal, I mean, literally two trials, um, we're, still, we're still stuck in a cold case as of this time. That's yikes. Like, how do you deal with that? I know. That's so... so because, I mean, some of them you like are people that you would trust Mm -hmm. so these like they come from i mean all of them come from respected positions in some way or another Mm -hmm. whether it's a relative the reverend or the senator like they they literally come from a respected position in one way or another so it's people abusing their power pretty much yeah to hurt innocent people like I mean, I don't may not have been all that innocent, but children, but his wife even. Yeah. Like what, what is, what are the kids, like their own four kids. And if you want to get payback on the family and wipe out that whole family, but why the two, why Ina and Lena? Yeah. Why Ina and Lena? And they, that's still what people question to this day. The Stillinger family is still not even sure. Um, you can go and actually see Ina and Lena's headstones like, in the Velasco Cemetery. Um, they have them down there. Um, Lena was 1900 to 1912. She was 12, 12. years old. And Ina, 1903 to 1912. She was so, seven years old. Or eight years old. Yeah, and even at that point, they're too young. Like, okay, they're... The 12-year-old, she has a little bit more of an understanding of that. But, but she's she, just staying the night at her she, friend's yeah, house. She's just, they went over to hang out at their friends. Like, what did they have to do with any of this? Yep, and that's how we get into the hauntings. Yikes. Um, so, of course, you have to remember that this case, um, you know, again, is very, uh, you know, very hard to go over because it's children. Um, and... You know, the house itself, actually, uh, as we called it earlier, a multi-hat. It went through a many of things. Yes. Um, so the house itself actually was like a theater, a courthouse. Um, it was used for so many things. Um, and a lot of people still believe that now their ghosts are there until this day, just wandering around, um, you know, just trying to live their best life. Um, afterlife. Yeah. Best afterlife. And you know what's interesting is that like, we were talking about how, who, probably jumping ahead, but who we think it'd mm-hmm. be. If, I honestly think, f- after hearing that, I would think it'd be the Reverend. I mean, again, Just, he was there. He in was town, there. Left. And I know we talked about this last episode. And um, he was mentally ill. Yeah. He hadn't been known for peeping in on people. So, that, and then we... Like I said, we talked about this last episode, but, and we touched on it this time, but one of the Stillingler sisters mm-hmm. had uh, defensive wounds on her. Yeah, so she was the only but one that had been bad. It was also said, and again, this and is for those account. people yeah. that need the trigger warning before I go ahead. If you, if you want to skip, this is the part you'd want to skip. <laughs> yes. But she was found 
with, with her dress up. With her dress up to her hips and her underwear down to her ankles. Mm-hmm. And again, that was just one of the accounts. So yeah, and so that's that with the information of the ref- reverend is what makes me think it's him because and was targeted. Yeah, mm-hmm. because why? Why else would anything like that lines up, seems to line up pretty with the well MO again? Yeah. yeah, and I like I I understand so they're like to, the two. The two paths, like, were they going after Josiah and his family was left in the wake, including the Stillingers, or was it a targeted attack on possibly even one of the girls? Yeah. And then the rest of the family um, just, again, was collateral. Yeah. Um, sadly. But um, either way, you have to look at it. Either the kids, especially the Stillinger sisters, mm-hmm. they somebody was collateral. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the two girls or everybody else yeah because it, it was said that uh, they found her lying like crosswise on the bed um so like again it was obvious that she was either awake or something happened um but it was like, um you know yeah anyway so that happened there and again we can't understand what was going through these people's heads um in this moment and you know there are so many suspects in this case um I'm sure they did their due diligence. Um, yeah. And yet it still remains a cold and case. It could have been, you know, a mob tosh of just about everything. Because I mean, that's true. And again, it, they still don't know if it was a single killer or, or killers. Multi- yeah, multiple. So it could have been one of those things that, you know, maybe all six of them had a part to play in it. Yeah. And, you know, know let it. Certain people have a part of actually physically doing the killing. Maybe it was like the senator yeah, said paid that he somebody. paid somebody. So maybe that was his way of keeping his hands semi-clean. I mean, it's ruined his career. So, But, um, you know, there, again, there's so many possibilities. Cost? Yeah, there's, there's so many possibilities. Um, but, yeah, so that's everything for the Velasca um, axe murder. Um, axe murders. Um, again, if you guys know anything, feel free to reach out. Um, this is information I actually found um, from Iowa.gov um, and or iowacoldcases.org as well. So um, make sure and go there. And again, if there you know any resources, reach out to local authorities. I know this happened hundreds of years ago. <laughs> it was. Hundreds of years yeah, ago. <laughs> it was 1912. 1912. So 110 so years 20 years ago, right? It's 2022. No, 10, you're right. Yeah, 110. Yeah. It was 110, 110 years, years ago. ago. But if you know anything, feel free to reach but out to the local Iowa government and um, police officers and, you know, just get involved. And yeah, it's never too don't late. Don't forget to, about them. Yeah, it's never too late to clear something like this. And I'm sure if any one of those families' lineage mm-hmm. still exists, I'm sure they would appreciate knowing kill, who killed their their family. Their family who killed the parts of their history. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, when I was doing research for this, um, last month, or not last month, but in May of 2022, um, as we mentioned, the house was used for multiple things. The house itself was a courthouse at one point. They actually decided to hold court in the Velasca house. So that's right. They, uh, back in May of 2022... Um, they held court with a local judge and they actually p- worked on passing some bills um, and basically just held court at the house. That's kind of cool, though. So it's kind of cool. So they opened it back up. So again, they're ch- like they're still trying to make this um, known to the public, kind of give more transparency on it, um, keep it in the eyes of people. Um, and, you know, this is something that is a part of their history and the house itself um, as one of the most haunted locations in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to continue to use it. Um, and again, keep it in the community um, and yeah. being used for the community. So yeah. I thought that was very interesting in my... That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I you found know. that on, like, their Channel 8. It was, like, CBS Channel 8. Um, but, yeah, after 100, it was, like, 151 years, they they got in there, so... Dang. That's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, Um Again, I want to end it off with um, one of the quotes of one of the ladies. Um, so one of the people that takes care of the house, um, her name is Martha. So she actually doesn't like to talk about ghost sightings, and she's not one for the paranormal. 
Um, she has, however, shared this comment. Um, she said, I feel like there's something there. If indeed there are spirits, you have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderer still exists there, but there have been a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming. But I don't like to dwell on it. Um, and then, you know, they also, you know, now host, uh, you can stay there. It's actually a haunted hotel. And they just recently had court there. So it is still a functioning house. And um, if you're interested, um, you and six of your friends, or six or fewer of your friends, can pay $428 and go stay the night there. Yes. And once and maybe again, you can do some investigating on your own, both paranormal and true mm-hmm. crime. And, of course, they do have their daytime tour hours, mm-hmm. which is Tuesday through Sundays between 1 and 3.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pre-booking is required. Tours are offered at $10 for adults and 5 for children. <laughs> Last time and we were seniors. like, why would you bring your children here? I know. <laughs> Go and listen to that episode. It's still very interesting. And then, of course, to book an overnight stay, you can call their number, which is 712-621-1530. So. All right. Well, that's all for this episode. Um, I hope you guys liked our yeah. true crime edition, um, or as we're calling it now, hauntingly true crime. Yeah. Um, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, let's get spooky, guys. It's Ooh. October, um, and we'll get into more as yeah. we continue. See y'all later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Poltergals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.